Well, good morning once again. It is so good to be with you here today on this um, first Sunday in the new year, and we have already had a reading from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and our second scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, fitting on the first Sunday of the year. So listen for God's word to you today as we start this new year together. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is, it is great to be together today, and I want to say hi again to those at home watching on Facebook Live and on YouTube, and also hi to the, you guys in the balcony. I see you up there. Yeah, thanks for the wave. I like it. The balcony is a zesty place to sit. They just have a lot of energy. Um, I want to start out by telling you today a a story from this past week. As some of you know, after all the activity and extra things of Christmas, I was ready for a little break, and so my family and I decided to get away to Tahoe just for a few days. And if you watch the news this week, then you know that the Lake Tahoe region was hit by an epic record-breaking snowstorm, right? Yes. It was so bad that highways were closed. There were accidents. People were stuck in their cars overnight. There were fuel shortages. It was a big mess. So we decided to go anyway. (laughs) We drove up on Tuesday, and at first everything was fine. We listened to the news, and we heard that Highway 80 was closed, and so our map rerouted us to take the southern route on 50. But before we got there, we heard that that also was closed. So 80 and 50 were closed. And our map, though, helpfully rerouted us and sent us north, about an hour uh, north of Tahoe. And they said that that would be a way to get around into uh, Lake Tahoe. So we drove uh, all that way up through the snowy woods on some back roads, all the way until we got to the point where the police said, turn around immediately. This road is closed. And so we did. We drove back to, um, to Sacramento, and we got a place to stay for the night. We were determined to have our relaxation and our fun. On Wednesday, we drove back towards Tahoe. This time, we made it through, through chain control, and 80 was open. We were driving, feeling great. We'd only lost one day, not too bad. It was a beautiful place. The snow was everywhere up there, just like a picture postcard. We got to to the cabin where we were staying, we unpacked our stuff, and then we got in the car to drive to a friend's house who lived about four or five miles away. As we slowly drove down the hill, we saw ahead of us a car that had crashed into a snowbank. 
And so we tried to drive straight to, to avoid hitting that same car. But as we drove, we lost some traction, started to slip. And so we turned the wheel that way to try and get around the car this, this direction, but we lost all traction. We slid down the ice, down the hill, into that car, into that snowdrift. So we were stuck in a snowdrift on an icy side of a, um, a, a hill uh, at night. No injuries. We were all fine and okay. But then about 10 minutes later, another car came down the same hill. And we saw it slip and slide, and it hit the same, that first car and bounced off of it and got around. It just clipped it. So it was able to drive away after exchanging information. 10 minutes later, we saw a big truck, like a work truck, a super-duty truck, you know, loaded with all kinds of gear, come up the hill towards us. We waved our arms and said, don't come this way, it's not safe. But do you think that big super-duty work truck listened to us? No. It gunned its engine. It revved up and went shooting up the hill. We were here. It passed us going up the hill, gunning its engine. Two-thirds of the way up, it lost all control and came right back down into us. So then we were part of a three-car pileup in a snowdrift on a hill in the ice. I was pretty bummed. <laughs> this was not the Tahoe holiday experience that I had in mind. Things were not going the way I had hoped. We were stuck there with those two other cars uh, at night, and we were not clear. It was not clear how we were going to get out. So I was stuck in a situation where I was frustrated, disgruntled, annoyed, disturbed, and disappointed. I wanted my Tahoe trip to go better than it was going. I wanted my family's experience to be great, but instead it was just a snowy mess. I was calculating in my mind all the hours we had lost the day before by um, hitting all that traffic and being turned around, and, and now we were in this ridiculous accident as well. Another word I could use, I suppose, for my, my feelings that day was dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. With the, I was dissatisfied with the icy weather and the roads. I was dissatisfied with the driver of that super-duty truck who didn't stop and crashed into us. But mostly I was dissatisfied with myself, with my own decision-making maybe that led us to get into this scenario in the first place. Why hadn't we stayed home? Why hadn't we taken a different route? Why didn't I have a better answer for how we were going to get out of this mess? Have you ever felt that way? Kind of dissatisfied with your own self or with the people or circumstances around you? Maybe dissatisfied with something at home or at work, with a relationship with a loved one or with things going on in the wider world? Maybe dissatisfied with the actions or attitudes of some of the people we hear about on the news in some regions of our country or closer to home in our own town. Maybe dissatisfied with how you acted or failed to act in this past year. Today we're talking about dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction, which is a normal human response to, the things that, to when things in life do not go the way we expect them to go. It's part of the reason that we set New Year's resolutions we're dissatisfied, or we set goals, or we try to find out how this next year will be different from the past year. There's an undercurrent in a way of dissatisfaction. 
I wonder what you might be dissatisfied about these days. Whether it's um, something in your own life, your own habits, the goals that you failed to meet, the place where you are in your career, not quite where you thought you'd be. Maybe your housing situation, something in your relationship, your marriage, your kids, your friends, your mental health, your physical health. It could be something larger than that, you know, maybe dissatisfied with something in our community or in our country or in our world. I'll ask a dangerous question for any preacher. What are you dissatisfied with about our church, about our ministry, about our life together? I'm giving you permission today, I want to give you permission today to be honest about the things that are dissatisfying about your life or about our world. And then I want to give you a powerful idea. As we think about dissatisfaction, I want to give you a powerful idea. Here it is. What if the places of our dissatisfaction are the very places where God is present, where God is working, and where God is inviting us to work as well? What if the places of our dissatisfaction are actually the places that God is present? So it can be a diagnostic tool. Dissatisfaction can be a diagnostic, a way that we look inside, we, we pop the hood, and we look underneath to see what is going on, what is going wrong in our own hearts and our minds to assess our friendships or our working relationships, our life goals, the things we're seeking after or striving for, the places where we're failing or falling down. It is good to be self-reflective, especially at the beginning of a new year. Isn't that right? dissatisfaction, which is this underlying sense that something is not quite right, becomes holy dissatisfaction when we turn it over to God. Dissatisfaction, this kind of natural human emotion, can be sanctified and made holy when we give it to God. When we set that place of holy, when we let that place of holy dissatisfaction spur us on, help us in our thinking, in our speaking, in our planning, our praying, our playing, our working, our growing, our learning, and all the rest. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person who is always dissatisfied in my life. Do you? I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be someone who's always complaining or annoyed or unhappy all the time. And I don't want to make light of anyone's situation. I don't want to make light of anyone's circumstances, but I, I bet you don't want to be dissatisfied either. Sometimes we are. Sometimes reality doesn't match up with what we had hoped it would be or expected it could be. Think about that story from Genesis that Howard made us listen to. <laughs> I mean, that we had planned to read today. It's about Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac is very old at this point in the story. His eyesight is failing. He can't see well. His, his faculties are kind of going. He's near the end of his life. And so he tells Esau, his older son, to go out and hunt and bring back some kind of tasty, meaty morsel and cook it up so he can eat it, eat it, give his blessing, and die in peace. But while Esau is out hunting, Jacob, the tricky younger brother, comes in. He goes to the kitchen. He prepares a meal. He puts on a disguise. He puts on hairy fur on his arms because his brother's so hairy. And he comes into his father, and he gets his father's blessing. And then when Esau comes back, his father says, I've already given my blessing to your brother. He will inherit everything I have. 
and you have lost out on it all. And then we hear the cry and the hurt and the pain in Esau's voice in that story where he asks his brother, or he asks his father, have you only one blessing? Do you not also have a blessing for me? The hurt, the disappointment, the dissatisfaction that Esau has in this story tells him and tells us something isn't right. The prophets in the Old Testament, they were the ones who would cry out against injustice or in the face of poverty or when people were being taken advantage of, especially the most vulnerable people. It was a sign that something wasn't right. When Jesus was teaching the crowds of people, like in our story from the Gospel of Matthew today, he was responding to their felt needs. He's talking to them about things in their lives that are not going right, things that feel out of whack. And Jesus is speaking into their hurt, into their need, into their dissatisfaction. He's helping them to take that sense of dissatisfaction where something's going wrong and letting it be changed to holy dissatisfaction where God is with them in it, where God is working in it where God is giving them a response of faith as well. So holy dissatisfaction, this idea that I'm, I'm talking with you about today that we're thinking about, is different from complaining. It's different from worrying. It's different from being upset. Holy dissatisfaction is not grumpiness, not grouchiness, and not grievance. Instead, it is taking those dissatisfying things of life and turning them over to God, bringing them to the Lord in faith. And then with eyes of faith, we look to see what God has in store for us. So it's okay to be dissatisfied when things go wrong, and it's important for people of faith to bring those things to God, to offer them to God. Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn. And isn't that totally backwards? People who mourn, who have lost somebody, they're struggling. They don't feel blessed. But Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. God is with you in your loss. God is working in your situation. God has sent you, people who care about you, who love you, to come alongside you, even in your deepest hurts. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And the fact that somebody has to be a peacemaker tells us that we live in a world of conflict, of war, of division or disagreement. So we can be dissatisfied with the conflicts and division in our time. And I'll tell you, I am very dissatisfied with the conflicts and divisions of our country, our society right now. Dissatisfied, not happy with it. But the calling of people of faith then is to be peacemakers, people who are reaching across to find the best in somebody else, to make a way where there is no way. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's worth it to be a peacemaker. It's worth it to do that work, to look for the best in somebody else and bring them along too. So there's a sense of holy dissatisfaction in the state of our world, and it leads us towards action in the world. When we have holy dissatisfaction, we don't just sit with it forever. We might do something to respond towards the loving response to somebody else, towards seeking the common good. 
So the idea of holy dissatisfaction is so important for us right now because it lets us check in with our own hearts and our own attitudes and then to look at our life circumstances in a different way. So, you know, when we were stuck up on that hill in, uh, in snowy Tahoe, I was bummed. I was really bummed out. And then the guy in the Super Duty truck got out and he picked up a metal shovel out of the back of his truck and he started to dig out the snow. And then the guy whose car was there first called his cousin who showed up with eight, eight guys, two trucks, and they all brought shovels. And they started digging us out. And we started pushing the cars on the ice. The first car, we pushed it out and it scraped along our car. Our car is in, is in the shop right now. It's in trouble. <laughs> and those guys then pushed it down the hill. And it, they let it go and it slid 50 feet free flying until <laughs> it hit into another snow bluff down below. That's how icy it was. But that wasn't my car. Those same guys then pushed us and we made our way out. Finally, we started driving, and we weren't able to, um, to drive it out of there. We had to leave it parked in a driveway overnight. But those guys dug us out, and friends responded to our call. They came and picked us up and drove us to our cabin. There were huge blessings in the middle of a really hard sit- situation. Lisa and I were talking about it. You know, we were fortunate If anybody else had been driving those cars who didn't have shovels, who wasn't a hard worker, who didn't have a cousin with eight friends, uh, we would have been in real trouble. No tow trucks could get up there. We couldn't walk home safely. And yet we, we we, we found our way through it. So I was super dissatisfied and disgruntled in the middle of it all. We can be honest about the hard things in our lives. But then the more I reflected on it, It became a holy dissatisfaction that said, things went wrong, but we're thankful. Things went wrong, but we're counting our blessings. Things went wrong, and we'll make different choices next time. Good idea. So I wonder if you might want to apply some of this to your own life situation. What would that look like? First, if you're honest about what is dissatisfying. Like Esau, you can cry out to the Lord. Like the crowd listening to Jesus, you can name the thing you're struggling with. And then you can realize the good news, that God is with you in your struggle, that God is actively working in your life, and that your response, your response in what you say, what you do, and the attitude you bring can make a difference. You know, a month ago, I laid out this sermon plan. For the month of January, we have a whole bunch of sermons. And for this day, I was so excited. I had a whole series of big ideas to bring. But then after my week in Tahoe, which I spent driving around in the snow and digging things out and getting rental cars in Reno, we ended up with just this one big idea, that there are things in your life you can be dissatisfied with. It's okay to be honest about that. But that dissatisfaction can become holy when we turn it over to God. Because God is in our struggles, God is at work in our lives, and God can use a place of dissatisfaction to move you and help you and grow you as you go out to live your faith this week. May it be so. Amen.